With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I thought I'd start with a couple of jokes that your children can roll their eyes at you this Thanksgiving. What do you get if you cross a turkey with an ostrich? A Thanksgiving bird that buries its head in the mashed potatoes. What do you get if you cross a centipede with a turkey? Fewer fights over who gets the drumsticks at Thanksgiving. <laughs> so it's nearly Thanksgiving. I think it's appropriate for us to pause from John and really stop to ask ourselves this Thanksgiving, are we thankful? And to think, is the world around us filled with thankful people? In 2 Timothy 3.2, Paul says that one of the signs of the last days is an attitude of ungratefulness. And I think we see that in the world around us today. But we as Christians should be grateful people. Grateful for what the Lord has done for us. John says the world is filled with an attitude of ingratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul here doesn't say give thanks for everything. I think that would be asking a lot. He says give thanks in everything. We don't have to give thanks for everything that happens to us, but in everything we should have a thankful attitude for what God has done for us. A man was struggling a little bit with his weight, and his wife put him on a strict diet. And all he had to eat one night was salad. And his wife said, why don't you give thanks to God for the food? And he said, I think God would know I'm lying if I gave thanks. Why don't you give thanks instead? <laughs> but in every circumstance, we are able to be thankful because we recognize God's sovereign hand in charge. Nothing in our world, nothing in our lives is left to blind chance. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all, God, all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So this is why we can be thankful in all circumstances. It's why we can rejoice in all circumstances. Our joy isn't based in our circumstances, but our joy is based in our God. Circumstances change. But God never does. And in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So those who have the certainty of grace found in Jesus Christ should be a joyful people. We should be a thankful people. All things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is why James 1-2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And the reason that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. 
And the reason that Job, who had lost his great wealth and his daughters and sons, and who sat in ashes in the street with boils growing on his skin, could say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Praise be the name of the Lord. We should be thankful in all circumstances. This week around the country, many students will be recounting the story of how in 1621, the first Thanksgiving was celebrated in Plymouth, Massachusetts, when the pilgrims celebrated their harvest with the natives who had been so instrumental in their survival. Together, the pilgrims and the natives feasted for several days with venison, pheasant, geese, duck, shellfish, along with the many vegetables, beans, pumpkins, squash, corn, maybe a turkey, but probably not. It would have been kind of unusual at that time. And as part of this celebration, they may learn a little of Squanto, the Native American who greeted the settlers with English and served as a translator and a guide in those early years. But they probably won't learn of his whole story, unless they're in Don's class, because Don told me this story. Historical accounts of Squanto's life vary a little bit, but historians believe that around 1608, about a decade before the pilgrims landed in the New World, a group of English traders led by Captain Hunt sailed into what today is Plymouth, Massachusetts. And when Squanto's tribe, the Wampanoags, came out to trade, Captain Hunt took them prisoner, and he transported them to Spain and sold them into slavery. Squanto was bought by a well-meaning Spanish monk who treated him pretty well and taught him the Christian faith and the English language. Squanto eventually made his way to England and worked in the stable of a man named John Slaney. And Slaney sympathized with Squanto's desire to return home, and he promised to find a ship bound for America. And in 1619, 10 years after Squanto was first kidnapped, the ship was finally found. And he returned home after a decade of exile and heartbreak. Squanto was on his way home. But when he arrived in Massachusetts, only more heartbreak awaited him. An epidemic had wiped out Squanto's entire village. We can only imagine what must have gone through Squanto's mind. Why had God allowed him to return home against all odds, only to find all of his loved ones dead? But then a year later, part of the answer came. A shipload of English families arrived and settled on the very land once occupied by Squanto's people. And Squanto went to meet them, and he greeted the startled pilgrims in English. And there he was a guide in this new and often hostile land. Really, who but God in his providence could so miraculously weave together the life of this lonely Native American and this struggling band of Englishmen? It's an amazing testament to his providence. Then in 1621 at Plymouth, Massachusetts, the natives and the pilgrims sat down together to thank God for his providence and for his great provision for them. And a man, Edward Winslow, described this first Thanksgiving feast in a letter to his friend. And I thought I'd read part of that letter. He says, Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, so that we might after a special manner rejoice together after we had gathered the fruits of our labor. They four in one day killed as much fowl as, with little help beside, 
served the company almost a week, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms, many of the Indians come, coming amongst us, and among the rest, their greatest king, Massasoit, with some 90 men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And they went out and killed five deer, which we brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. God was so good to them that he wanted even to share what, what little they had. And that's probably a familiar story for most of you. But did you know that Virginia also claims to be the site of the first Thanksgiving? Apparently an earlier colonial Thanksgiving happened on December 4, 1619, about a year before the pilgrims would arrive at Plymouth Rock. The colonists landed on the coast of Virginia, and when they landed, they were under strict orders by the London Company about what to do. They said, we ordain the day of our ship's arrival that it shall be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to the Almighty God. So the pilgrims feasted. These colonists used the words thanksgiving first. And two decades before the Virginia landing, a group of Spanish colonists prayed and feasted in 1598, giving thanks for their arrival on the waters of the Rio Grande after making a trail across the desert. They, too, invited the, the local native people to join them in a three-day feast. And the same happened in Florida, where the Spaniards landed near St. Augustine in 1565. Prayers and a feast with the local Indians followed. So Virginia, Texas, and Florida compete a little bit with those settlers at Plymouth for the first Thanksgiving. But in all of these, we have to note that these early Thanksgiving were not only a time of feasting, they were not, as we often call Thanksgiving now, turkey days. Instead, they were days set aside. They were consecrated. They were holy days to celebrate with prayer the goodness of their God. So Thanksgiving was not merely a feast to celebrate the camaraderie between pilgrims and natives, but also to express their great gratitude and thanks to their God. It was especially to give thanks to God. So what does it mean for us to give thanks? I think we all understand that the idea of thanksgiving as an expression of gratitude. But as kids, we're taught that please and thank you are magic words. And that is so ingrained in us that by the time we're adults and someone hands us something, really no matter what it is, or they do something nice for us, we say thanks instinctually, without really even thinking about it. I think we say thanks a lot without that sense of gratitude that's supposed to accompany the words. Sometimes we say it before we've even had time to process what it is we're supposed to be thankful for. After all, that's the polite thing for us to do. One author I read this week called this thank bloat. He said, we say thank you so much that we don't actually take the time to be thankful. So when we read these passages like 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will for you in Christ Jesus, we sometimes tend to skim over the words, give thanks. We don't take the time to really think about what 
thanks means. We give thanks because our God, who we rebelled against, continued to love us and drew us back to him and to his light through his love, through the love, the light, the death, and the resurrection of his son Jesus. So as we consider that today, as we consider that today and this week, we please take time to let it fill you with the awe and the joy and the thankfulness that it should. Later in American history, the Continental Congress declared a day of thanksgiving after defeating the British at the Battle of Saratoga. And other days of thanksgiving were occasionally called for nationally and statewide. Until in 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared that the last Thursday in November be the national day of thanksgiving. And it was later moved to the third Thursday. Lincoln, during this time of unprecedented national strife during the Civil War, paused to be thankful. And I imagine he had a great deal of personal distress as the leader of the Union. But Lincoln seems to have understood Paul's words in Philippians 4, 4 through 6. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I want to share some of Lincoln's words with you this morning in this proclamation, because I think it is one of the most beautiful examples of an outpouring of thanks and prayer and petition that I've read. So let me read Lincoln's words to you. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source for which they come. Others have been added which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of the Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or, sh or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines, as well of iron and coal as of precious metals, have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield. And the country rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving, and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. 
And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in this lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of his almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. Can you imagine a proclamation like that coming out of Washington today? Just the acknowledgement that we are sinners and that we struggle and that it is his hand that gives us everything. He says, observe this Thursday as a day of thanksgiving and praise to the beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And while offering up the ascriptions, do him also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, and sufferers. Every situation, prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And of course, Lincoln was writing during the Civil War, this time of unparalleled national strife. But I think in our country today, we should also be offering our prayers of thanksgiving. We should be offering them, like he said, fervently imploring the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of our nation and to restore it as may be consistent with the divine purpose to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, and tranquility and union. Because certainly we are not a unified people in our nation today. So at this Thanksgiving, before the parade begins and the relatives arrive, or before you pack up the car to meet with family and friends, before the business of the holiday with all of its own demands begins, I encourage you all to take the time to return to the tradition of these early Thanksgiving days. Honor God with your prayers on this Thanksgiving. And if you need ideas on how to do that, the psalmist in Psalm 100 gives us pretty good instructions on how to give grateful praise. Psalm 100 says, Shout for the Lord, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So as we give praise, shout for joy, worship with gladness, sing joyfully. Know that he is God, the creator. Really take time to meditate on that. Come before him with thanks and praise because God is good and his faithfulness endures forever. So this is how we should give grateful praise to our God. This attitude of gratefulness should fill us to the absolute bursting point. But often the gratefulness to God is expressed kind of poorly, with little thought, instinctually, instead of with thoughtfulness and gladness or obligatorily, instead of with a willful, intentional praise. So today, as we thank God for the food that we are about to eat, 
let's not suffer from thank bloat. Do not think of our thanks as a compulsory act that we could say thank you for the food and go enjoy what has been prepared for us, but instead celebrate as we acknowledge his great provision for all of us and his great providence and divine will and goodness over all creation. So if you join me in prayer, I'm going to bless the food as well so that we can go from here and go directly down and eat. But join me in a prayer of thanks to our Father. Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for your enduring love and your continual faithfulness to your people. Thank you for your mercy that you forbear the wrath that we who are sinners do certainly deserve. And for your grace that you lavish blessing upon us sinners that we certainly do not deserve. And thank you for Jesus, who has made that mercy and grace possible. As we go now to eat this meal that has been so lovingly prepared for us by many hands, I ask that you use it to bless us, and as we eat, to remind us of your great provision in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.